Father, it's a good place that you bring us on Sunday morning to a time of worship, a time, dear God, of thinking through our blessings, a time, dear God, when we have the opportunity to recall how you have interfaced with us and influenced our life, how you have blessed us, and how you've worked in the lives of people around us. And Lord, what an opportunity we have to come together corporately to not only worship, but in the midst of our worship, to pray and to talk with you. You're the one who's invited us to do this. And you're the one, dear God, who hears us every time we lift up a prayer. Father, we thank you that we have not lived this past week alone. And we thank you, dear God, that we will not live this next week alone that you're going to be with us and you're going to influence our life and that you're going to bless us, that you'll help us through the challenges of life and at the same time you'll help put a smile on our face and joy in our hearts. For we know not only will you be with us now, but through your son Jesus we have the assurance that we will walk and talk with you forever and ever in heaven. Lord, we're here to give you thanks for that grace in our life. Father, our world continues to be a world in all sorts of conflict. Individuals are in conflict, families are in conflict, nations are in conflict. For we who are your children, I pray, pray, dear God, that we would know peace, that we would be a living example, each and every one of us, of what it means to love and to forgive and to love again. And that other people might see in us the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For the times that has not happened in the past, I ask you, dear God, to bring us individually under conviction. And I pray that you would help us to be reconciled, that we might be a ministry of reconciliation for others, that they would see that in us. Forgive us, dear God, through the shed blood of your Son, I pray, and help us to be what you want us to be. Father, I thank you for all of those who are in uniform and those who serve to protect us and to provide services for us. I ask your blessing on them this morning. We sit in the comfort of our church and not in a foreign land and not in a uniform and not with a weapon in our hand. I ask you to be with those who do those very things. I ask your blessing on those in the medical community and the teaching community and all of the other helping services. And pray you'd help them to be resilient and to trust you. I pray for those who are in our government, Lord, and and ask you to minister to them and bring them to a saving faith. And if they already know you, Lord, help them to be courageous to serve you and not to serve other people. Help them, dear God, to break new ground spiritually and help our country. And Lord, you have children all over this country, including us, who call out for spiritual revival in the United States. We ask, O Lord, that you'd allow it to sweep through your church, that you'd give us a passion to reach out to other people, 
And at the same time, dear God, that from within you would build your church and your kingdom on earth. Please bless us, Lord, and help us. We need your help. Father, this is such a good place to be on Sunday with other believers, people who can embrace the same teachings and the same experience, knowing that you're a God of grace and a God of mercy, knowing that you have sent your only begotten Son, Jesus the Messiah, to die that we might live, to gain our forgiveness through his atoning death, and to know, dear God, that you have bestowed on us your Holy Spirit to influence our daily living. We have a lot to be thankful for. Thank you for blessing us. And Lord, I know as we gather together, there are those who are really challenged by some of the things in life, things in their own lives and in the lives of people they love and people they care about. Help us to be mature people, Lord, and help us to trust you and talk to you about the things that hurt and the things we're concerned about and know that you are the one who hears us and that you respond each and every time. Father, bless us and help us to be a blessing to others. For we come in the very precious name of Jesus. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, from the 11th chapter. The Gospel of Luke, the 11th chapter, and we're going to start with the 5th verse. The Gospel of Luke, the 11th chapter, beginning with the 5th verse, and we're going to study through the 13th. Please take your Bibles and open them and put your finger on this exact spot. And keep your Bible open and refer to it as we go through our study together. The Gospel of Luke, the 5th chapter, 11th chapter, starting with the 5th verse. Let's ask the Lord to help us before we start. Father, I pray that you'd take these words that you have inspired and that you would cause them to just leap off these pages and into our heart and into our mind. Help us, dear God, to understand and then to take what we have learned and to allow it to be applied in our daily life. Particularly in our prayer lives, Lord, I pray that you would now impact us with this passage. And I ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Back in April of 2010, a movie was released by Hollywood, a family movie, that had moderate success, but lots of folks didn't see it and didn't hear about it. The title of the movie, and because it's a family movie, I commend it to you, is Letters to God. Any of you ever see that movie? Letters to God? Maybe it didn't show here. It's a story of an eight-year-old boy named Tyler. Tyler has terminal cancer. And it's a story of how Tyler wrote letters to God. 
which in essence were prayers to God. It's a story about his mama and how something very beautiful happens to his mom. It's a story about his brother and how something very meaningful happens to his brother. It's a story about an unsuspecting substitute postman who providentially God puts in that situation. A postman whose life is just falling apart. A postman who's become addicted to alcohol and who's terribly discouraged, divorced, and has just lost custody and visitation of his son. And God puts him into this very challenging situation, and God ministers to him. If you watch the movie, it will help amplify what we're about to do this morning. Every one of us have challenges in life. God invites us to talk to him and to come to him with those challenges. And he promises to hear our prayers, as you're going to see in a moment. But he also works in the lives of other people who are around us. And he does what only he can do. He manages all that simultaneously. Isn't that amazing? He can work in a dozen other lives and still complete his purpose in the life of the primary person. And you're going to see that in our passage this morning. So what I want to do is I want to talk with us this morning, as Scripture does, about our prayer lives and some guidelines on our prayer lives. I want you to look with me at the Gospel of Luke, the 11th chapter. I'm going to start in the 5th verse. And folks, listen very carefully. God's going to speak to you and to me. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, Yet because of his perseverance, persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a steak instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he'll not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. I love the setting for this. It's such a simple setting. Jesus is praying. Apparently he's praying by himself, and his disciples know he's praying. And when he ends his prayer time, like most of us, I'm sure he had an agenda. 
And he gets up from his prayer and he starts to start his day and to do the things that are important for him. And one of his disciples says, Lord, teach us to pray. Interesting thing about prayer. All of us are at different levels in our prayer life. Some pray when there's an emergency. Others pray as a matter of routine. Some pray on a regular basis. Some pray on a regular basis with a very sincere and open heart. And it's a maturing kind of process that I hope continues to happen throughout our lifetime. This disciple, wherever he was, and the other 11, wherever they were in their prayer lives, are now wanting Jesus to talk to them. And they're saying, you know, John the Baptist taught his disciples, those who followed him, won't you now teach us? Can you imagine getting to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn how to communicate with God? Jesus starts by saying, let me tell you how to pray. And he teaches them what you and I know as the Lord's Prayer. If you read through the Lord's Prayer, phrase by phrase, you'll see what our Lord does as he touches on a whole variety of topics that he wants us to embrace and he wants us to have into our life, just like he wanted the disciples to have it. And then he starts to talk about the very things that we see happening in verse 5. In verses 5 through 7, he describes the situation. What he does is he teaches a parable, a synopsis of the parable. He says there's a man who lives in a village. It's midnight. A friend of his comes to his house, knocks on the door, invites himself in, and the friend, when he opens the door and lets this traveler in, the friend has nothing in his cupboards to share with him. So he leaves his home, and he walks to another friend's home. And he knocks on that door at midnight. And he calls out to this friend who's already gone to bed, and his children have already gone to bed. And he says to him, I've got empty cupboards. I've got a guest who just came to my door. Will you share some loaves of bread with me? Good friend. He says, no, I'm not getting out of bed. What you're really doing is bothering me, and you're bothering my kids. Go away. And the scripture says he continues to knock. You and I are in that first house. It's God who has the bread in the house down the street. We have someone come to us. What that is is some kind of a challenge some kind of a crisis in our life, some sort of an event that happens that we're caught off guard, and it happens when we least expect it, in this case at midnight. And when it happens, we look for our resources. This man went to the cupboard to find some bread to share. You and I look at our resources, and we come up empty. We have nothing to meet that emergency with. This man goes to his friend. You and I are being encouraged to go to God. God has all the resources. 
You know what a loaf of bread was in those days? I found this very interesting. It's something you could hold in your hand, a small loaf. And it was baked every morning. So people would go, and because of no refrigeration, they would go and they would buy their baked goods and they would buy their fresh produce on a daily basis. And they would typically consume it. And what you and I often do is we consume as much as we can consume of everything. And very often when the real emergency comes, we come up empty-handed. What the Lord is saying is, I want you to come to me and I want you to pray. And you're like the man who comes empty-handed. And I want you to know that when you come, I'm going to answer your prayer. You know what a true friend is? A true friend is somebody who's there when you need them. Somebody you don't have to ask come alongside me, but they have that instinct given by God that you have a need and they come alongside. And that's exactly who God is. You and I are to look at him as a true friend knowing he cares about us, he knows what's going on in our life, and he invites us to come to him. If you look down in the 8th verse, you see the answer. And the answer is a strange answer. He actually says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Interesting verse. Is that saying... The only way we can get God to answer us is if we just keep knocking and knocking and pounding on the door. God is not hard of hearing. God hears us and God understands what's going on with us before we ever come to him. So why must we persevere? Why must we be persistent in our prayer? I'd suggest to you a couple of answers. One is he's already answered our prayer and we missed it. And you know why we miss prayers? We are so determined to have our own way. We go to God and say, this is how I want it. And if he doesn't do what we want, we keep banging on the door. As if we're going to somehow get him to do what we want. And he's God. Folks, I want you to know something. God has not delegated his sovereignty to one of us. What God has done as a sovereign God is he has invited us to interface with him to share what he already knows so that we can benefit from it. And very often our prayer is a misdirected prayer. And if we were to get the answer that we ask for, it very likely would be hurtful to us. And that's not what God's all about. I suggest the second reason we need to be persistent. Sometimes God says, I'm going to answer you, but it's not timely yet. And I want you to wait till I get all these other things and people in exactly the right posture so when I answer, it's an embracing kind of answer that works my purpose out in all of these lives, not just in your life. I wondered in the movie when I first started watching it, the letters to God, 
while little Tyler had to go through such a prolonged period of struggling with his cancer. And it dawns on you pretty quickly when you're watching that movie, it's because God had an agenda with a lot of other people. And he's using this little boy in a loving way to touch a whole lot of other lives. He does that in your life. He does that in mine. If you look at the things that so often we have to wait on, if you have the eyes to see, you'll see how God is working in other people's lives and how he's working out his purpose in their life. And you know what else he's doing when we have to persevere and persist? He's saying, I don't want you to miss it. I'm the author of the answer of this. I don't want you just to come to me, put a request before me, I answered, and you walk away thinking somehow you did it. So oftentimes we stand empty-handed, and we have to realize how empty our hands are, and that the answer to our prayer is coming from a God who loves us, and a God who's going to minister to us. I think that's what that perseverance is all about. It's not to change God's mind. Scripture teaches he is immutable. He's already made up his mind. And he is not asking us to come with a better idea and change his. So it's got to be something for our benefit. And I think a lot of it is realizing how empty our hands are and how much we need him to answer us. If you look on down in the passage in 9 and 10, we see an assurance. He says to us in 9, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. He's saying this is the assurance I give you. Not only do I hear your prayer, I'm going to be involved with you and I'm going to respond to you. I said, and I thought about a number of examples of how God answers prayer. And then I did exactly what I ought to do. I quit thinking about it and started reading my Bible and started looking for biblical examples. And I I went to an example, and it's a passage we looked at some months ago. It's out of the 12th chapter of Acts, and it's when Peter has been arrested in Philippi. He's been put into jail. He's under guard duty, under guards. The next morning, they're going to bring him out. They're going to try him publicly and probably kill him because the death of one of the disciples had just taken place because the ruler of the land had told him to take a sword and to take James' head off. So here he is in prison waiting for the next morning. And a group of people have gathered together in a house church. And they are praying for Peter and for his release. As they pray for his release, God dispatches an angel. The angel goes into the prison. As the angel awakens him, the chains fall off of him. Now, you see, most of us think, well, the angel brought a key. There was no key. The chains fall off. He stands up, and as he starts to walk, there are guards stationed inside. 
the guards cannot see him. He and the angel walk to the exit, and the gate is opened for them. Now, we read through all of that in that narrative, and oftentimes just take all that for granted, and I want you to know, supernaturally, God was at work answering the prayers of the church. We have the same God today. And when you and I pray corporately or individually, we have a God who listens to us, and he has angels at his disposal. He has the dropping of the chains that would make us captive. He has at his disposal the opening of doors in our life. He's God. And what he does is he works with us, and he hears our prayers. I don't know what your prayer life's like, but over the years, and I pray this will continue to work in my life, I've gotten to where I more literally expect God to work those kind of miracles. Do you? Can you go to him with that kind of confidence and say, Father, I really believe if this is something you want, you'll do it, and if it's not, you'll do what you want, and nothing can stand in the way. Not any person, not any government, not any institution. You are a sovereign God. And it is built on a foundation of love. You've already shown us that you love us. That's our prayer life. That's how it ought to work. He says, all you got to do is ask. All you got to do is seek. All you got to do is knock. And I'm going to answer. Now, you know, there's some folks who take that and they go somewhere that makes me very uncomfortable. Some well-intentioned folks say, well, you claim it and it's yours. You just name it and claim it and God will give it to you. That's not what I read when I read this passage. They need to read the balance of the passage. It is true. If we call on God, he will respond to us. He's a loving Heavenly Father, and he's committed himself to that. But there's more to that. If you look carefully, you'll start to realize that he doesn't give a scorpion to the people he loves instead of an egg. And he doesn't give a snake instead of what they have asked for, bread. He's not going to give something to us that hurts. No matter how hard you pray for it, if it's not what is in your best interest, and it's not according to his will, he's not going to do that. God is not relating to us, saying to us, Tell me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. He does have a condition he puts in place. And he says, come to me, I will answer you. Be assured of that. But I'm not going to give you something that's out of my will. I'm just not going to do that. What loving father would give something to a child that would be detrimental? And our model is, that God loves us, and he's not going to do that to us. Instead, if you look down at the very end of the passage, he shows us what he is doing. He says to us in verse 11, Now suppose one of your fathers is asked by a son for a fish, and he gives him a snake, or he's asked... I turned that around, didn't I? And suppose one of you 
fathers is asked by a son for a fish, he'll not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? And not an egg, he won't give him a scorpion. If you then being evil, meaning we're not perfect people, we've not arrived yet, we have motives that are oftentimes skewed in a way they shouldn't be, and we oftentimes do things we shouldn't do, he says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts, and we do give good gifts, we give good gifts to people we love and people we have a concern about and people we are involved with. He says, I want you to imagine how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. He is the giver of good gifts. You know, Jesus, have you had a personal encounter with Christ? It's okay if you nod. If you know Jesus personally, has he not given us the grandest gift of all? Something you can't get any other way. You can't acquire it. You can't buy it. You can't even beg for it. It's a gift that is given by grace to us. It was the gift of faith. To be able to believe what you and I would never have believed. Not in a lifetime. People could sit down and intellectually negotiate with you, and you still wouldn't get it. But what God has done is he said, here, I have a gift for you. And he's given us the gift of faith that we might believe. You know another gift he gave us? He gave us the gift of his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit lives inside of you and inside of me. And he wants his Holy Spirit to guide our daily life. And when it comes to prayer, he wants his Holy Spirit to be involved in our prayer life, to engage us with him and bond us to him. And his Holy Spirit, Scripture teaches, is going to reach inside of us and bring things out of us that we would never ever say in prayer. And he's going to get us to verbalize those things. How much he wants us to commune with him. So he gives us the very gifts that are necessary for that to happen. Folks, if you've got an unsettledness in you, and we all get that from time to time, get in your prayer closet. Get on your knees. Say, Lord, I'm coming up empty-handed again. I need your help. And ask him to help you. It's not about getting our way. If you go into your prayer closet determined to get your way, you're going to oftentimes be disappointed. Instead, it's about going into your prayer closet and saying, Father, help me understand your mind. Help me get that. And when you start to understand his mind and you integrate that into your thinking, life looks very, very different. Life becomes manageable. Life has joy in it. And it puts a smile instead of a frown on our face. If I don't communicate anything else today, I want to communicate one thought. He loves you so much that he wants you and I to talk to him. He wants us to share our heart with him, our dreams, our sadness, our brokenheartedness. And he not only hears, he 
he has committed himself to respond in an appropriate way. Never forfeiting the fact that he is God. Never relinquishing that to anybody or anything. He is a God of love. He is a God of mercy. And through Jesus Christ, he is your God and mine. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, dear God, for the teaching of Scripture. I thank you, Lord, that you love us. And that every time we come to you in prayer, you're the one who's invited us. And you're the one who assures us that you're going to be involved and hear us. And that you're going to answer our plea in a way that is suiting and fitting. Thank you, Father. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I had a seminary professor who's with the Lord now who was um, a really significant impact of grace in my life and the lives of a lot of others. And I heard him preach a sermon one time. He said, be careful what you pray for. You're liable to get it. Hezekiah goes to the Lord and prays and says, hey, Lord, I don't like your idea that I'm about to die. I'm a good guy. Won't you let me live a little longer? God says, yes. Let him live for 15 years. During that 15 years, some people from Babylon came, and they looked at all the treasures he had because he opened up the treasury to them. And they started to yearn for the treasury. And one day they invaded that land and took all of the treasures and the people into captivity. When you pray, know that he loves you. But end your prayer like Jesus did in the garden. Father, let this come pass for me. He didn't want to suffer and die. But thy will be done. Amen. God bless you and God keep you, my friends. Walk out of this church knowing that he loves you and he's with you and he's going to care for you and that he's open to you and wants you to talk to him and come close to him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.